You are listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. Well, please take up your Bibles. We're going to be continuing in our series. It's a a vision series. It's a short three weeks. And if you're new today, this is the final one of our vision series. And we're looking at the theme of give. We're going to be looking at three passages from the book of Philippians. And our first passage that we're going to be reading is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. In the Blue Church Bibles, that's page 11. Seven, eight. That's Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our second passage comes from chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. So Philippians chapter 2, 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son, With his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor, people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. 
Our final passage is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 20. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Matt. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's Ralph. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And um, today we're looking uh, at the whole of the book of Philippians. So after a few short passages in this series, we're now having one whole book. So that's pretty exciting, isn't it? What am I doing? I'm about to destroy the microphone. There you go. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into that passage. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is living and active. Thank you that your word is powerful. Thank you that through your word, your Holy Spirit is here with us to change lives, to change desires to change priorities, to change futures. We pray that we would experience that even here and now today. Amen. Well, let me ask you, what are you looking for in a church? What are you looking for? Uh, perhaps you're new to Manchester uh, and you're just looking around churches. You're trying to make a decision where to settle and that's the question you're asking, what am I looking for? Or maybe you've been here a while, maybe you've been attending City Church for some time, and now you're thinking, is this a church I want to make my home? What are you looking for? Well, maybe you're looking for a church with really, really good worship, you know, great singing, a good band, you know, a place where you leave... And you think, yeah, I really encountered God today. Or maybe you're looking for a church with a really great community. A place where you're warmly welcomed. A place where you feel known. Somewhere that has a time of refreshments in the middle of the service. Maybe. Or maybe what you're looking for is a church where you know you will receive really excellent, engaging teaching. You know, sort of teaching that doesn't just fill our heads with knowledge, but, but moves us in our inner being. Now, 
all of those things, they are good and important things, and it is right to look for them in a church. But today, I'd like to suggest to you that you ought to be looking for one other thing as well. Look for a church where you can give. Now, that's radically countercultural, isn't it? We live in a consumer culture where the question we're trained to ask is what will it give me? So, so what will I get if I do that job? What will my future look like if I take that course of study? What reputation will I have if I drive that car? What affection will I receive if I pursue that relationship? What care and input will I receive if I belong to that church. I think what we need to do is we need to turn those questions on their heads and ask, what can I give? This is the final of three sermons, looking at our vision statement as a church. And the vision statement is this. We should all know it by now. We are a growing church that trains and generously gives laborers to resource and plant churches in Manchester, the Northwest, and beyond. That's our vision as a church. That is what makes us tick. That is what we're about. And over the last two weeks, Matt, first of all, took us through the first part of that vision, that we're a growing church. And then secondly, last week, we thought about the fact that we are a training church. Today, we're looking at the fact that we are a giving church. And we're in a book of Philippians, the the book that Matt read sections of just now. We're in that book throughout today. Now, Paul is writing here to a church that he was involved in planting in the city of Philippi. You can read about it being planted in Acts chapter 16. And what we need to know is that it was an incredibly diverse church, The first believers in Philippi, according to Acts chapter 16, were Philippi's equivalents of of Vera Wang, Britney Spears, and Ray Winston together in a single church. Imagine that. It's an incredibly diverse church. But what we're told is that each of their lives have been transformed by the gospel. And now they were gospel workers with Paul. Uh, Just look at what Paul writes them in verses 3 to 5 of chapter 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice why Paul prays with such joy. It is because of their partnership in the gospel. Now, that word translated partnership is a Greek word that was used in the first century to describe two other sorts of relationship. Two other things were described as being partnership in the first century. Number one, marriage. 
Number two, a business partnership. Now, now what on earth do those two sorts of relationship have in common? They sound completely different, don't they? Well, think about what happens when you get married. You stand together, next to each other, and you pledge that your futures will be the same. You pull your money, you pull your stuff, and you say, where you go, I will go also. I'm committed to you. That's what we say when we get married. So what about a business partnership? What happens there? When two bakers or or two solicitors decide to go into partnership together, what is it that they decide to do? Well, they're pledging that their futures will be the same. They're committed to a shared aim, and they're committing all of their money, all of their resources, all of their stuff, and saying, if it goes well for you, it goes well for me. If you go broke, I go down with you. I'm committed to you. Now, do you see what biblical partnership is? It is a self-sacrificial commitment to a shared aim. And that is what church is all about. You know, a church is a bit like a crack SAS team on a mission together to rescue hostages. We have a single common aim to reach the loss for Christ. We are in it together. We are one team. And we're willing to go all in to pay the ultimate price because the aim is worth it. Now, now that's true within churches, but it's also true between churches, which is what Paul is talking about in this letter and what we are talking about when we talk about giving in our vision statement. And this sort of giving in partnership, according to the Apostle Paul in this letter, it has three parts to it. Each part begins with P. So this is going to be really easy to remember. We give prayers, we give pounds, and we give people. So first up, Let's think about prayer. That's verses 9 to 11 of Philippians chapter 1. I wonder, did you watch the Queen's funeral on Monday? Give us a nod if you watched it. Statistically, it should be 50% of you nodding right now. At least. It, It was an incredible event, wasn't it? And it had wonderful, gospel filled songs and readings. It was great that that was watched by half the world's population. One of the things that I found fascinating watching it was seeing that section of Westminster Abbey that was filled up with all of the world leaders sat in row after row after row. And they were all sat there, the, the high and mighty of the world, and they were all sat there waiting, waiting. 
I wonder if you saw in the news a couple of days after that, Donald Trump took the opportunity to poke fun at his successor, Joe Biden, pointing out that Joe Biden was sat on the 14th row all the way back behind all the Commonwealth leaders and, and the European leaders and everything like that. And Trump said, well, if I was president, I would have been further forwards because the world respects me, not you, Biden. Now, of course, that was a load of nonsense, right? Trump doesn't know what he's talking about. He would have been sat exactly there or further back. But, but it, it did get me thinking. You know, if you are a Christian here today, you have a front row seat. Not at the funeral of a dead British monarch. But you have a front row seat in the throne room of the king that she worshipped. You have direct, immediate, intimate access to God, the God of the entire universe, every single time you pray. And prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Paul, he got that. He understood that, which is why he was both constant and consistent in his prayer for his gospel partners. And we get an insight into what that prayer was like in verses 9 to 11. Notice how gospel-saturated the prayer is. He wants the Philippians to grow in their love and for that love to abound in knowledge and in depth of insight. Now, now the, love, the love that he's talking about, it is their love for God and their love for each other, which, notice, flows out of their knowledge of God. We tend to have a very sentimental view of love, don't we? We think it's all about feelings and emotions, and we, we think it kind of comes and goes like the wind comes and goes. But the love that Paul is talking about here, it is constant and fixed love. It's like the love between a husband and wife who've been married a long time. Now, Anna and I, we will be celebrating our 20th anniversary next year. We've been married quite a long time. For City Church, that's a very long time. Now, every time I see Anna in the morning, no longer do I find my knees going weak beneath me. If that did happen, frankly, that would be very inconvenient and very embarrassing to me every time I got up in the morning. But you know, despite that, despite not feeling that same flutter every time I see Anna, my depth and the reach of my love for her has grown. Why? Well, because every single year I've been married to her, I've got to know her better and better and better. And that's led me to love her more deeply and love her more dearly. And that, that is the sort of love that Paul is talking about here. Love, love that's not merely an emotional feeling, but love that has grown in knowledge and in depth of insight. That means that it is a love that changes us. 
The word translated depth of insights there in our passage is talking to moral perception, an ability to know what is right and what is wrong. It's talking about discernment. You see, love for God goes hand in hand with knowledge of God, which goes hand in hand with obedience to God. You see, true love changes someone. Because Anna loves me, I want to be a better and better husband. Because my children love me, I want to be a better and better father. And that is what Paul is praying for. He is praying for an experience of God's love for the Philippians that transforms the Philippians, that makes them ready to meet Christ on the last day. Verse 10. So let me ask you, do you give your time to praying these things for yourself, for each other? for our gospel partners around the world. It's what we need to do more than anything else. City Church was planted. It was started as a church eight years ago. And when we started off, we had four American churches that had pledged to partner with us. Now, their partnership involved giving some money to us. It enabled us to have more staff than we otherwise would have had. But far more significant than that was that they pledged to pray for us. And because of that, we had more than 10,000 people praying for us as we started as a church. And God answered those prayers in miraculous ways. We've seen conversions. We've seen lives transformed for Christ. We've seen people head off to plant and resource churches here in Manchester, throughout the Northwest, and beyond. We've seen a church planting movement, the, the Northern Gospel Project, get launched only this year. And we've been protected from spiritual attack and from moral failure. Those things, they were all answers to prayer. So we ought to praise God for the constant, consistent prayers of our partners overseas. How are we doing at following their example? You know, at City Church, we have a praise and prayer meeting twice a term. At each of those, we take time to pray for our partners in church planting here in Manchester and overseas. We've got a mission and planting team. It's made up of Fola, Margaret, Justin, Katie, Iona, and me. And one of our central roles on that mission and planting team is to make sure you know what you can be praying for, for our mission partners, as they seek to grow in their love, knowledge, and depth of insight. Will you give yourself to praying for those partners? Because prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Secondly, partnership involves giving pounds. Pounds. That's what we see uh, right at the end of the letter. Philippians chapter 4. Turn to that with me in your Bibles or on your phones. Uh, in verse 10, Paul, he rejoices that the church has renewed their financial concern for him. And then he remembers in verse 15 how the church stood out among all the churches 
in their financial generosity. They sent financial aid to him again and again, verse 16. And this was all an act of worship. Look at how the gifts are described in verse 18. He says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That's the language of temple worship. Many Christians, they think that the worship's all about singing. Other Christians, they, they want to have a, a more expansive view of worship. They, they point to passages like Romans chapter 12, where it says that the whole of life is worship. And they say, well, that, that's it. The whole of life is worship. But we're not just worshiping when we're singing in church. We're worshiping all week long. And that's true. But the Bible especially says that what we do with our money, what we do with our cash in the bank, is an act of worship. Listen to Jesus speaking about money in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now notice the order there. We tend to hear that, and we hear it as, you will put your treasure where your heart is. As if we can look at our money, and if we look at our money, we'll see where our heart is. Now, that's entirely true. If you want to know where your heart is, look where you put your money. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is actually saying it the other way round. He says, where we put our money, there our heart will be also. Do you see, it's not simply that our treasure follows our heart, but our heart follows our treasure. And that's true. Look, if tomorrow morning you put £10,000 into shares in BT, I promise you, you will spend a lot more time looking at the performance of BT in the weeks ahead. If tomorrow you book a holiday to Disney World Florida for £5,000, I promise you, you will be looking at the website for Disney World and checking out the rides a lot more than you would otherwise. And if you were to give 10% of your income to ministry here at City Church, I can promise you that you will be thinking much more about City Church. Our vision will be much more on your hearts. Because giving financially, it is an act of worship. It redirects our hearts, either to something that is healthy and God-glorifying, or to something that isn't. Which is why, as a church, we are committed to giving generously to church planting here in Manchester, throughout the Northwest, and beyond. You know, when we started as a church eight years ago, we pledged that we would give away 10% of our member giving to church planting here in the city and elsewhere around the world. Our target is that by 2027, that will have reached 25% of our member giving. 
Last year, we gave £9,000 to a fund to support church planting in Manchester, operated by the Northern Gospel Project. In addition, we gave another £12,000 to support church plants here in Manchester and in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Now, our giving to Redeemer in Chorlton has enabled them to take on a new member of staff to look after their operations this year. Our giving to Redeemer Church of Dubai enabled one of their church plants, Crossroads Church, to take on someone called Aaron. Now, Aaron, he is working particularly with Filipino pastors, not just in the UAE, but across the Arabian Peninsula. His job is to train them up both in theological training and leadership skills so they can pass their church as well. And the thing with Filipino churches throughout the Arabian Peninsula is that they have more opportunities than any other church to share the gospel with the locals. Because it's the Filipino people in those countries who are working in people's homes day in, day out, and they get incredible opportunity as they share their lives to share the gospel too with people who have never heard the saving good news of Jesus. What an incredible privilege for us to be able to support that in happening. We give generously to church planting partners here in Manchester and throughout the world because it is an act of worship and because we are in this gospel work together. Wanting a self-sacrificial commitment to one common aim. But... Do we need to cut back? I mean, let's be honest, the financial crisis is looming, isn't it? Energy prices are skyrocketing. Last year was the first year ever the city church was in deficit. And if you know from last Sunday, if you were here last Sunday, you would have heard that we're currently looking to raise £2 million to buy a new building. I mean, surely, shouldn't this year be the year that we cut back a little on what we give elsewhere so we can look after our own finances for a change? We tend to think about church finances as being a zero-sum game. Have you ever come across that term? Do you know what a zero-sum game is? It's where all the numbers equal out. So if, if this was a zero-sum game, we give £5,000 to redeem a church in Dubai... Redeemer is £5,000 richer. We are £5,000 poorer. That's a zero-sum game. Now, zero-sum games hardly ever happen in the real world, and they certainly never happen in church. Why? Well, just look with me at verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4. And my God will meet all your needs according to to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You see, all the money we have, all the pounds we have individually and as a church, they're his, not not ours. Psalm 50 verse 10 tells us that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are limitless. So he can use our giving of £5,000 to redeem a church in Dubai to make ministry in the Middle East flourish while at the same time meeting our needs here in Manchester so the ministry can grow and multiply among us too. 
As we give financially, it is a win-win for the kingdom of God and for our shared gospel aim. Finally, finally, gospel partnership involves sacrificially giving people. Now, I've got to say, this is probably the hardest bit of the lot. Uh, Go back to chapter 2 with me and take a look at verses 19 to 30. Here Paul recalls how he and the church in Philippi had been engaged in giving people to one another's ministries. So Paul, verse 19, he wants to send Timothy to Philippi. Now Timothy, Timothy was Paul's apprentice. Timothy himself had been involved in planting churches. He was a church pastor. And Paul absolutely loved Timothy. Look at verse 20. He says, I have no one else, no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. But Paul wanted to give Timothy to the Philippians for a time so that verse 23, he could serve alongside them. I think sometimes there's an unspoken expectation in churches that if someone is really, really gifted, someone's a really good preacher, if they're really, really godly, if they're, they're really good as a pastor, then what will happen is they will stay at the church and they'll end up being in leadership in that church because they're, they're really godly and gifted. But if someone's a little bit odd, if their enthusiasm outmatches their gifts, if they're a little bit quirky and difficult, well, then we'll just have to send them out as a missionary or send them out as a church planter. You know, Paul would have none of that. When he gave people for church planting and mission, he gave his very best. He gave the one that he viewed as his own son who had proved himself, verse 22, time and again. I meet up with Pete Evans every month. Now, many of you might not know Pete. If you've not been around for a few years, you probably haven't met him. Uh, Pete was on our staff for two years. Now, now, the thing you need to know about Pete is he doesn't like dogs at all. So what I do with him once a month is I take him on a dog walk to help him overcome his phobia. Actually, I'll be honest with you. One of the main reasons I go on a walk with Pete once a month is because I miss Pete. He's a good friend. He's an incredibly gifted guy. He's someone who had to work out his godliness in the crucible of real adversity and real exposure. And when he was on staff at City Church, he was an enormous blessing to us. Ministries grew, things flourished, things were easy in lots of ways. But we gave Pete away to pastor our church plant in Prestwich, North Manchester. That cost us. It cost us emotionally. It cost us personally. It cost us relationally. But that is what self-sacrificial commitment to a shared aim looks like. Did you notice in our passage how this giving of people was reciprocal? Look at verses 25 to 30. The church in Philippi, they'd sent out one of their own best, a man called Epaphroditus, to look after Paul while Paul was in prison. Can 
can you feel the intensity of the emotion in those verses when Matt read them? Both Paul and the church in Philippi, they loved Epaphroditus. It was a real sacrifice to give him to Paul. And Epaphroditus, he almost paid the ultimate price in his service of the gospel with Paul because he almost died, verse 13, for the work of Christ. Friends, City Church is a lifeboat, not a cruise ship. You know what happens on a cruise ship, don't you? Okay, you pick your favorite people and you go away with them and you spend all your time with them, safe, sound, enjoying the luxuries of life. It's safe. It's comfortable. If that is what you're looking for in a church, then you're not going to like City Church very much at all. Because we're a lifeboat, which means we're a team. Yes, we we are a tight-knit team involved in each other's lives, but it is anything, anything but comfortable. We will be constantly flexing, bending, turning, maneuvering ourselves to make room so that by all possible means, as many, many as possible, will be drawn out of the floods of God's just and righteous wrath against this world. You know, just as lifesavers sometimes have to be sent onto different lifeboats so that more drowning people can be rescued, so we will be sending out people all the time, regardless of how difficult and how uncomfortable we find that. Because that is what self-sacrificial commitment to a shared aim looks like. That, my friends, is partnership. But what is it that will make us give like that? We'll take a look again at verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Recently, I was reading a book that retold the the children's classic picture book, The Giving Tree. It's a simple story. Let me share it with you, okay? It's a story about a tree and a boy, okay? And when the boy is young, the tree gives her leaves to the boy to make a crown. She gives her branches to the boy so he can climb on them. And she gives her apples to the boy so that he can eat. And the boy loved the tree and the tree was happy. But as time goes on, the little boy becomes a young man and his desires change. Now what he really wants is to to get money so that he can buy things. And so the tree gives her apples to him to sell and he makes loads and loads of money And the boy loves the tree, and the tree is happy. The years go by, and the boy is now a man, and he wants a house so that he can raise his family in it. So the tree gives the boy her branches to build a house, and the tree was happy. As the man reaches middle age, he gets that middle age 
desire to do something different. He needs some action in his life. So the tree gives the boy her trunk so that he can build a boat and go sailing the seven seas for fun. And the tree is left as a stump. Then the boy is nearing the end of his life. He returns to the tree utterly worn out. And all he wants to do is rest. And so the tree gives him her stump to lie on. And the tree was happy. That's it. What do you think about that story? I think it's simultaneously beautiful and shocking. It's beautiful because of the way that the tree gives herself away, self-sacrificially loving the boy, but it's shocking because of the boy's utter selfishness. But you know, it reminds us that, that love, to, to really love someone is to give yourself away for that person. The Bible says that God is love. And straight after saying that, it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent or he gave his one and only son into the world so that we might live. You see, just like the boy in the story, by nature, we are utterly, utterly self-obsessed. We take, we take, we take, we take. We try to be God in our own lives. And just like the tree, out of love for us, God gives and gives and gives, and eventually he gives us the ultimate gift his own dear son, Jesus, dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve for living our lives like the little boy in that story. And that, my friends, is the most true and perfect act of love that has ever been. That is the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus. And, you know, it's what enables us as Christians to give. Because God has given himself away to us in Jesus. Because he has showered us with such unconditional love, we are now able to give ourselves away for the sake of others. That is why we are committed to generously giving prayers, pounds, and people to resource and plant churches here in Manchester throughout the Northwest and beyond. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that when we talk about love, the only place we can look is you. God, you are love. You are the great giver. Every gift we give is just giving something that you have given us. And you have given the supreme gift that we cannot give and we can merely give away the news of. The gift of your own dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself away for us so that we might live. Would that love, would that radical, perfect, beautiful love 
shape and direct all that we do, say, and think.